Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. This is our Q&A series where I answer your questions regarding the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Let's get started. Dale asks in this question, where do you find this type of policy? Well, you find it in North America, right? The United States and Canada. And if you're in the U.S., and you find it in the U.S. with a competent, qualified uh, practitioner, in my opinion, a life insurance agent who understands the infinite banking concept and is beyond the ability to spell IBC. Maybe he's done, they've done their homework and their study, and maybe they do it themselves, right? Um, so you can go to infinitebanking.org that is the nelson nash institute and they have a practitioner finder and so you can click on your state and all of the licensed uh, life insurance agents that are licensed in your state will come up and then below that list will be the all of the non-resident agents that are licensed to do business in your state so I don't know what state you're in, but maybe you're in California. The first list, if you type in, you know, California, all of the licensed agents that are um, that are practitioners of the Nelson Nash Institute will come up on that list. And then everybody in all of the other states that can do business in California are on that second list. Um, <clears throat> or you can go right down in the in the links below in the comments or below in the it tells you how to become a client of ours, if you wish. In this question, Sam asked, how did the new changes to 7702 affect infinite banking? All right. So, and we, and I know I've talked about this many times and, and uh, we talked about it. And a lot of people have talked about it last year. There was effective January 1, 2022, where the life insurance companies are required to use uh, different interest rates to uh, avoid a MEC or to to determine a MEC. To price life insurance, those interest rates changed, and um, 7702 is the Internal Revenue Code section that deals with life insurance. And so they change the interest rate in that section that uh, that regulates life insurance and the interest rates that life insurance companies use. And the effect of that is <clears throat> that it takes less death benefit currently to avoid a modified endowment contract. And the guaranteed cash values generally go down, but the non-guaranteed cash values generally go up. And the death benefit goes down a tremendous amount, okay? Now, not every life insurance company is going to look the same because there was a range of interest rates that they could use um, between 2.75 and I believe 3.75. So the lower interest rate, the companies that went with the 2.75, that will, uh, it may be counterintuitive, but that will cause a greater um, cash value increase on the non-guaranteed side. The guaranteed cash values go down. The non-guaranteed cash values go up. 
the total cash values go up and the death benefit goes down. Compare that to a company who uses, you know, three, 3.5, 3.75, they'll have a bit of a higher death benefit compared and a little bit lesser total cash value in the beginning, right? So at the end of the day, it just uh, changed very little. It changes, I personally believe it's more profitable for the life insurance companies, right? You know, oh, poor me, I had a hard time. I back up, you know, the life insurance companies really are or did have a hard time in the low interest rate environment, um, you know, supporting a five, five and a half or six percent dividend um, and, and maintaining profitability. And so if you can't make up the returns on the front end, then you've got to lessen the death benefit on the latter end. All right. All right. And, and I can go on and on about this, but let me say this, and I'll talk more about this later in, in, uh, in just a, an episode, that you look at all these uh, hedge funds, private equity groups, they're gobbling up life insurance companies, right? Now, they can't gobble up a mutual company unless they demutualize, but they're gobbling up the stock companies. And don't think that there's not a dink a connection. My opinion it's like, oh, at the last minute, the IRS slips in this uh, provision and all right in the middle of all of these hedge fund companies and private equity groups buying life insurance companies. It'll be more profitable for them. But, you know, maybe I'm connecting dots that I shouldn't. Okay. All right. Thanks for asking that question. Though. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Sydney. Hi, James. I love the podcast. Thank you. I had a question. Is it possible for HOAs to purchase IBC-style whole life insurance policies? Are there any special or technical difficulties that HOAs would face? Since HOAs receive regular income in the form of HOA dues, it seems like a no-brainer to put those dues to work inside a properly structured policy rather than leaving them to sit in a bank account. Thanks for all of your work and spreading Nelson's message. You're welcome, Sydney. Thanks for the kind words. I love the way you think. Right? You're exactly right. You're 100% right on. Um, in my opinion, it is a no-brainer, isn't it? The problem is the insurable interest. So when you buy life insurance on someone, there must be an insurable interest. I kind of talked about it earlier in a question or in, a, in another question. Um, there has to be an insurable interest. So if I own life insurance on somebody, it's because I have I am going to be at a loss if they graduate, if they die. I'm going to be at a loss. And so I'm insuring that loss. So if you look at an HOA, um, you know, if a homeowner moves, sells their home, I mean, they're not moving the home, right? They're going to sell their home and move away, or maybe they're going to rent it and they don't change ownership. But um, in, in the example that the, uh, the, the homeowner sells their property, there's no loss to the HOA. Because somebody's going to buy that house and they're required to pay their dues. So there's no loss, right? There's no financial loss to the um, HOA, right? Now, could, could um, I give my car, private asset, to an HOA? 
well, I can give my private, I can give my property to anybody. And my point there is, could you give life insurance policies, private asset, private property to an HOA? You can, but then that could cause you insurable insurability in the future. You know, have you ever sold or gave away a life insurance policy? That is a question on a life insurance application. The life insurance industry considers that you selling or giving away your mortality. Not likely to issue another policy on you. There's lots of lawsuits and cases that you can research. So the short answer is the concept is spot on. The problem is getting it past the underwriter, right? Um, so, you know, you compare that to like a church, a nonprofit organization, right? So for a nonprofit to exist, for a church to exist, they must have donors, right? Um, if a donor dies, then the church would lose that donor in the future donations. Same as a nonprofit, right? If, if the nonprofit loses a donor, then they lose all of the future donations of that donor, there's an insurable interest, right? So churches and nonprofits should, excuse me, they should read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, a second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. I mean, they, that, this is a concept that they should be aware of. Oh, wait a minute. The uh, churches have boards, deacons, trustees, or elders, or whatever they're called in your denomination, right? Or uh, organization, the, uh, the uh, nonprofits have board members, right? And they're either compensated by, you know, dollars numerically, or they're compensated um, by giving time, right? So even a board member who's not contributing money may be contributing their time. There's a, still an insurable interest there. So great question, Sydney, and thanks for listening. And that happens to be followed up by this question. What a quinky dink. I'm still in the middle of a of the episode, so pardon me if you did end up talking about this later on in the show. But you were talking about how more nonprofits should be involved in IBC, and I wholeheartedly agree. But what about the homeowners associations? I feel like they would also be a great fit, so much so that I pitched it to my HOA's finance person. They probably looked at you, you know, like you were from Mars. Okay, I pitched it to my homeowners association's finance person about a year and a half ago by email. Never got a response. Of course, of course. Okay, I asked my own and one other NNI IBC practitioner about setting up policies for HOAs, but mine told me essentially that he couldn't figure out how it could uh, be set up for an HOA, and I think maybe it was figured out who the insured individual was. I don't remember his reasoning exactly, right? And another one never really got back to me after a couple of back and forth on the topic. So I'm sorry you experienced that. You know, if you're an agent, I know many agents and advisors listen to this podcast, and my encouragement would be to answer the phone, okay? Because if you don't answer the phone and they call my office, we answer the phone, and I know many of you do. So if you're not answering the phone and the individual, per, the uh, potential prospective 
consumer, the prospective client is calling you and you don't answer, the next one that they call is subject to answer. I mean, this is business 101, please. Okay, sorry. Um, I feel like it's kind of a no-brainer. Am I wrong? It's almost, yeah, it is kind of a no-brainer. <laughs> um, you're, you're not wrong at all. The problem is insurability, right? There's no loss to the homeowners association if a homeowner dies. There's no financial loss because the next owner of that house is forced to pay the HOA dues. Okay. All right. In this question, Nina asked, hi, where can I get Nelson's two books? I received one from Amazon, which took a long time but lost at the airport mid-pandemic. Please help. Listen, you can go right down here in the notes, and you can go to our store on uh, bankingwithlife.com or jamesnethery.com. We have a store. We have fabulous deals in the store that you can purchase his books. His first book, Becoming Your Own Banker. His second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. And there are many other books that are uh, worth reading and purchasing. But you also have the ability to buy Nelson's six and a half hour live presentation, the DVD series that uh, uh, I think it's a couple hundred dollars. And if you purchase that through our store, it, you know, we'll give you a discount code. Just call our office. We'll give you a discount code. Save you 20% on that. In my personal opinion. So that's how you do it, Nina. Okay. You go to infinitebanking.org. They have a store to purchase all of Nelson's uh, works. And then I'm just saying that our store, my store, we have uh, the ability there to purchase books as well. Either way, I think that you should purchase them from NNI or our website. And about two years ago, I believe it was, there were some uh, plagiarized, some knockoffs, some copy books that are unauthorized prints of becoming your own banker. And the pages weren't even correct. Right. I mean, so um, is that true for every book on Amazon, every becoming your own banker? No, but um, go to the source. You know, there's more things there that will help you in addition to becoming your own banker. I mean, once you've read that and you understand that more than one reading, once you've under understood and read his second book and watched the DVD series, you know, as you go forward, you'll want other uh, material to read as well, in my opinion. Right. And then let me say right here, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm going to continue to say it, that you cannot, you, the listener, me, us, you as a whole, all of us, no one can speak intelligently about the infinite banking concept unless you have a thorough understanding of what Nelson did in becoming your own banker. Right. My opinion, in a very strong opinion, um, and the building your warehouse of wealth and the six and a half hour DVD series. If you have not read those two books and if you have not watched that DVD series, you cannot speak with any authority whatsoever on the infinite banking concept. So whomever you are, go make these purchases. Do yourself a favor. Whether you practice the infinite banking concept or not, whether you implement that in your life or not, okay. Um, and then two, look, now Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, is available on Audible. You can go to Audible and listen to it. And I get pushback. This, and I get it. The, the Audible version, their chapters do not line up with Nelson's printed book, Becoming Your Own Banker. Okay. 
um, you can figure out where he's talking about what section he's talking about by listening to Audible and then reading the book. Right. And, and oh, my gosh, if you have to look and study and search it out. Good for you. It'll help you. My opinion. I know I had to do that. I just discovered the uh, version on Audible, the the true audio book on Audible a couple of months ago in, in, in preparation to my talk at the Think Tank. You know, I talk all day about Nelson's work, the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. So I'm listening to Audible and then having to go listen to that and then find out where he wrote about it in the book. It was you know, a bit of a hassle, you know, but a bit painful as far as, you know, being crunched for time and looking, but it did me good. And I think it'll do you well as, as well. Okay. Okay. So the store, Nelson Nash Institute, infinitebanking.org or bankingwithlife.com. Thanks for asking Nina. Thank you for listening. If you have a question that you would like answered, email me at james at bankingwithlife.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.